So there were these Israeli cadets, new soldiers, and they take them up on an airplane, and the uh, sergeant tells everyone, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you to jump, and you're going to jump. And when you jump, you have to yank at the cord, yank at the cord, and the parachute is going to open. But you can't yank at the cord right away. You have to count to five. One, two, three, four, five, and you yank at the cord. And if that doesn't work, count again to five, and yank the reserve cord, the other emergency cord. So tells the soldiers to jump. The first soldier jumps off. One, two, three, four, five. Boom. Oh, and that's not the joke. He said, and the buses will be waiting for you on, on the, when you land, the buses will, will be waiting on the ground to take you back to base. So the first soldier jumps off and uh, he pulls the cord. Doesn't go. Five, one, two, three, four, five, the reserve, the reserve cord, he pulls it, psh, doesn't go. The soldier says to himself, there, prob- there probably won't be a bus waiting for us below either. That's the problem, right? It won't, it won't even be a bus. <laughs> There are a lot of things that people look at for security that make them feel that they that they that they feel comfortable, that they feel secure, that they feel good. Some people wake up in the morning, the very first thing they do is they check their Facebook, see how many likes they have. Some people wake up in the morning and they look at their bank account. Oh, my bank is going well. I know that that on, on the day of Tzara, Bim Tzara, they have trouble. I still have some money. We'll save, save. So everyone has something else that they look at and they feel, you know, they, they feel secure about it. And the question is, and, and, and there was a, there are many things that, that make a person um, secure and give us what we need to have to, to, to um, live the way we need to live. There was a famous uh, therapist, Abraham Maslow, who made a, a pyramid about human needs. Bottom need is everyone needs to have is that you need to have a uh, you need to have food and drink that's your first need, and then you need to make sure that you have a place to live and security, and then you have a need for social needs, and and if once you take care of need number one, then you can work on need number two. That, that's how he described uh, people's security. And but the truth is that the Torah has a lot to say about our security and our comfort and. In order not to get confused, I just want to tell you one sneak preview of where, where we want to get to. Where you want to get to is, you're a little child, and you're holding your father's hand, and you feel so good, because you know your father, when you're a kid, you feel your father's all-powerful and all-wise, and he's taking you to a good place, and you're, you're just comfortable, it's so great. That's how a Jew is supposed to feel, that's where we want to get to. But before we get there, let's analyze a little bit of this week's Torah portion, and see... Uh, how this Torah portion really has a lot of tension about this exact subject, about about security, about peace, about about where where we're supposed to be, and the challenges we have to get there. There's one sentence in the Torah this week where Moshe Rabbeinu Moses is going to um, take his father-in-law's sheep out to pasture, and famously Moshe Rabbeinu goes and he sees a burning bush, right? And the bush is burning, but the bush is not being consumed. And God appears to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he says to him, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, I have a job for you. And Moses says, I'm not the right man for the job. Why am I not the right man for the job? Because I have a heavy tongue, and I cannot do it. Now, how come Moshe Rabbeinu had this lisp? How come he had this speech impediment? Why was he unable to speak? 
So Mendesh tells us the following story. Mendesh says that when Moshe Rabbeinu grew up in the Pharaoh's palace, so he was raised in the Pharaoh's palace and he would, everyone loved him. Paro's daughter loved him and hugged him and kissed him and, and Paro himself would play with him and hug him. So one time Moshe Rabbeinu was playing with a Pharaoh and he takes the Pharaoh's uh, crown off of his head and he places it on his own head. So the Pharaoh's advisors are like, this is a bad sign. You don't want this kid to live because this kid might be the kid that we predicted is going to rise from the Hebrews and, and overthrow you. So the Pharaoh's like, well, let's, let's figure this out. And they decide to make the following test. The test is they're going to bring in front of Moses a, a few golden coins and they're going to bring in front of him a uh, hot coal. If he chooses the golden coins, that means he's out for wealth and power. If he chooses the coal, then he's not out for uh, anything special, just he's a kid looking at bright objects. So naturally, any child would, 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 wouldn't gravitate to the coal, but, and, so, and Moses also was, was uh, not just any child, and he reached for the golden coins, and, but the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel came and took Moses' hands and, took, and put the hands on the coal and, and put it in Moses' mouth, and that's how Moses lost, he got that speech impediment, he was unable to speak regularly. But the question is like this, a bunch of questions about the story. I don't know if we can get through all the questions, but let's try to do at least some of them. First of all, how come Moses had a doubt about God's decision? God chose him, so of course he's the right man for the job. Did, did Moses doubt that God knows what he's doing or not? If God chose him, would, if God chose you, would, would you say, well, are you sure? I mean, think about it. You're talking to God. God knows everything. Are you sure? Of course God is sure. What's the question? And also, what, did God, what does God respond to Moses? God's response to Moses also doesn't make sense. What did God tell him? Who, give, who gives man the ability to speak? Is it not, is it not I? Yishokayach. Moses didn't know that? What did God tell Moses that he didn't know that answered Moses' question? And also, Moses repeats this claim again uh, two chapters later, when he goes to the Pharaoh, right before he goes to the Pharaoh, he tells God, how can you send me, I have the speech impediment, how can I go? So, to understand this, we have to first analyze something else. Let's go 2,000 feet up for a second, and let's ask a question on a different angle. Why is it, by divine providence, that Moses had the speech impediment? Why is it that Moses couldn't speak regularly? It would seem that to be a leader, to be a prophet, to lead all the Jewish people, one of the things you would need to do that is to, have, to talk and communicate. And yet, Moses was missing in this arena. Moses couldn't speak regularly. Why not? And God's response doesn't answer. God says, I could cure you, and if I wanted to. In fact, Nachmanides says that the reason why Moses resisted God's choice was because he said, I could tell from you that you don't really want me to do this job. Because if you wanted me to do this job, you would have healed me. Since you didn't heal me, I can tell that this wasn't really what you wanted. You're not really interested in me. If you were interested in me, you would, you would have first, the first thing you would have done is heal me. So I must have misunderstood what you're asking me to do. That's how Nachmanides explains the exchange. And God um, does respond to Moses, according to Nachmanides. He said to him, I could have healed you, but I want you to remember how I saved you when you were a child. I want you to remember how I saved you and how you got that list for your whole life. You should always have that list, says Nachmanides. God wanted Moses to remember that in order that Moses should always feel God's kindness and gratitude to God because God saved him when he was a child. That's Nachmanides explains the purpose of his list. So according to Nachmanides, there's no intrinsic relationship between Moses and, list, and the list. It's just that 
it's something, it's a way that God saved him and, and God wanted Moses to always have that in him, on him, part of him, part of it that he should feel this, this dependence and gratitude to Hashem. That's Nachman to explain this. The Shalah has a very fascinating explanation. It sounds theatrical. It sounds like it's from a movie. The Shalah says like this. Moses comes before the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh knows who Moses is. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace. So Pharaoh knows that Moses has a stutter since he's a child, right? And Moses, Moses has a problem with his speech. So when Moses comes before the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh now remembers, uh-oh, this is the, stu- this is the stuttering guy. This is the guy I should watch, that, that my advisors had told, warned me long ago, I should watch out for this guy. So that gave the Pharaoh a lot of respect for Moses because he, said, he realized this wasn't just happening. This was that Moses is stuttering. He realizes this is the child that, that even as a child, it was clear that this guy is going somewhere. He's out from my throne as eventually mm-hmm. Moses did overthrow the Pharaoh. So that's why Moses stuttered in order to give the Pharaoh respect for Moses. That's how the, that's how the, the, the um, Shalak explains this. Then we have the Ran's explanation. The Ran says like this. The Ran says that there are some people that they have a lot of charisma. They could convince you that white is black and black is white and they could tell you all kinds of stuff and you're going to believe them because there's just such charisma. And it's possible that, that people may misinterpret the Jewish people following Moses and think that the reason we follow Moses is because Moses has such incredible charisma. Moses was such a great leader. He was so exciting. He had such, a, such incredible oratory skills that there was no way we're not going to listen to Moses because he's so brilliant. He knows how to speak. He knows how to convince us. That's what you might think. But in order to dispel this notion, God specifically gave Moses this handicap that he couldn't speak so well, so that people realized that our following Moses was because it was true. It wasn't because it was, it was the, the <coughs> packaging. Very often people are, get caught up with packaging. That's why the expression goes, don't judge a, judge a book by its cover. Why? Because it's, it's, it's natural to judge a book by its cover. Don't, the Talmud tells us, don't look at the bottle. Look at what's inside the bottle, right? So, it, but our, our nature is we look at the bottle. If someone comes over to you and they're stuttering and they're not sure what they're saying, even if they're saying the truth, your reaction is, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. If someone comes with surety and clarity, then, then they probably know what they're talking about. So in order to show that the authenticity of the Torah's message was not because of the presenter, was not because of Moses' fantastic oratory skills, which he didn't have. God specifically gave Moses this impediment so that Moses' authenticity was proven from itself, not because of some, ex- some extraneous uh, presentation. That's how the Ron explains this. But let's go deeper. Let's go a little deeper into this. The Zohar discounts the Ron's explanation. I mean, the Zohar was written before the Ron, but the Zohar says a few things which seem to discount what the Ron says. First of all, when was Moses healed of this lisp? According to the Zohar, Moses was healed at Mount Sinai. As a, there's a Pusik, Eitz Chaim Marpil Nefesh, a tree of life heals the soul. When the tree of life, the Torah was given, Moses was healed from, from this, this, this impediment. If the whole point of the speech impediment was in order to prove authenticity of the Torah, so Moses needs a speech impediment even more once the Torah is given. So how come he's healed from the speech impediment at the moment of giving the Torah? On the contrary, that's when he should have. Had, that's, at, that's when he needs it. That's when he, we need Moses to have an impediment in order to show that it's not Moses' charisma which is convincing us of the, of the message of the Torah. So how come Moses had his speech impediment re, uh, removed from him when the Torah was given, as the Zohar says? So the Zohar goes far deeper into this. 
The Zohar says it's not that Moses had a speech impediment because of some uh, extraneous reason, because to prove something, or it's because Moses and <coughs> speech are connected or are not connected to each other. Moses is a person who is above speech. The Maharal puts it this way. The Maharal says that we have different faculties. We have a faculty to see, a faculty to hear, a faculty to speak. There's a difference between our faculty of speaking and that of our of seeing and hearing. Seeing and hearing are things that we are, are, are reflexive. We naturally see and hear whatever we see and hear. But you have to decide to speak. You, you have to decide you're going to say something. You, can't, you don't automatically speak. At least some of us don't automatically speak. Some of us automatically do. So... Um, the Talmud says, right, that's why, that's why Hashem gave, made many gates around the mouth, the teeth and the lips and the tongue, so we shouldn't like, just like, splurt out everything which is in our head. Anyways, but, but, but you have to decide to speak. So the Maral says Moses was a, of, of such a divine character that he didn't connect with speaking. He was above the physical body, and so seeing and hearing, yeah, but speech is something which, is, which indicates more of a connection with the body, and he was above that. Chassidus Al-Tarebbe explains the inner meaning of that. Chassidus says that Moses was from the world of Tayyum. Moses, Moses was from the world of truth. And the world of truth which is above the, the physical reality. And therefore it's impossible that Moses' truth should possibly be conveyed in this world. Because Moses was, the holy of speech is revelation. Moses was such a high level of truth it could not be revealed in this world. And that's when Moses said to God, how could I speak? It, it was impossible for him to reveal who he was. It was impossible for him to reveal his soul, to reveal, to reveal the truth that he was at the, the, the level of his truth. And what did God respond to Moses? Who gives man a mouth? I give man a mouth. God used the word anochi. Anochi means I who am I. I in my very core. I in my essence. It's true that our rules of nature. It's true that according to nature, it's impossible that your truth should be conveyed in the physical world. But I am God and I am infinite. And therefore, there's no such thing that's, that's impossible for God. And therefore, your truth has to be revealed to the world. And, and you will go to the Pharaoh, and you'll be able to convey the message to the Pharaoh. Once the klippa, once the evil of Egypt was, was, was eradicated, once the world was cleansed from that evil, then it was possible for Moses to speak naturally. Then it was, there was no need for a miracle for him to be able to reveal his truth. Until that moment, until klippa of the, the klippa, the negativity, the evil, the, the, in the words of Kabbalah, the, the husks that conceal Galenius were removed from Egypt, it was not possible for Moses to speak. But once that was broken, then Moses was naturally healed. Then he could, then he could, he could speak. Then he could, then, then he could reveal who he was. It's very confusing. You read the Torah to understand the... Oh, we have eight minutes left, so let's hop around. <laughs> the word Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, what does it mean? Why do we use that that term to describe him? Who gave him the name? We know who gave him the name? Basia, the Pharaoh's daughter. And that name is a little bit of a strange name to use for Moses because... There wasn't the name his parents gave him. When a child is born, they gave, they're given a name. So how come we don't call Moses by the names his parents gave him? There are many opinions what his parents gave him. Uh, so one opinion is that Moses' name was Yikutiel. Other opinion is his name was Tov, goodness, because when he was born, the house was full of light. 
And yet we use the name of the daughter of the Pharaoh. Why do we use that name of all names? Especially because that name is a little bit off. For a couple of reasons. Number one is, it's, 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 what language did she say it in, first of all? She must have said it in Egyptian, right? She didn't say Moshe. She must have said something in Egyptian because she didn't speak Hebrew. The Barbanel says that she spoke Hebrew. She wanted to learn Hebrew because she wanted to convert to Judaism. That's why she went to the river. But let's accept our Barbanel's explanation. Fine, but still. At what age did Moses get that name? How old was Moses when he got that name? How old was Moses when, he, when he gave, she gave him that name? What happened? Moses was rescued by the daughter of the Pharaoh. Then Moses went back to his mother for a couple of years. And when he grew up, she sent him back to the daughter of the Pharaoh. And then she gave him the name Moses. So Moses was growing up with another name. And then later on, he was given that name, Moshe. And that's the name we use. God told Moses, I'm not going to call you by any of your other names. I'm only going to call you Moshe. And also the name Moshe in Hebrew grammar doesn't make sense. What, what's the name Moses mean? To be drawn out of the water. Really, if something's drawn out of the water, the correct t- title for it should be is Moshoi. Something which is drawn out. We don't call Moses Moshui, we call him Moshe. Moshe means someone who draws others out of the water. We still have four minutes, come on. Why is Moses called someone who draws others out of the water? Moses was drawn himself out of the water. He wasn't someone who drew others out of the water. That's, that's one important question we need to a- answer. What is the meaning of Moses' name? Another question. It seems like, in this whole story of the Pharaoh and Moses, that everything circles around the river. Everything's about the river. In addition to this thing of getting the Jews out of Egypt, everything's about the river. There were many, many people that tried to destroy the Jewish people in history, right? All kinds of horrible people. Gas chambers, you name it. And then there's one guy, the Pharaoh, and he has this crazy idea, throw the Jewish boys in the river. What's that piss the river? Why the river? And, another, and then Moses, his parents decide, oh, you know how I'm going to save our child? We're going to save him by putting him into Auschwitz. I'm saying Auschwitz because the method they're killing the Jewish babies is throwing them into the river. And what do Moses' parents do? Oh, let's put him in the river. All the Jewish babies are, are being killed. Why would they put him in the river? What does that mean? Later on, Moses has sent by God to go to the Pharaoh. Where should he meet the Pharaoh? By the river. What's this thing with the river? What's this, why is it all circling around the river? And the answer is, the Pharaoh got up every morning, and he has the largest river in the world. There's a, a bit of a discussion if the Amazon is bigger or the Nile is bigger, whatever. The, the Nile River is a huge, huge river. And the Pharaoh feels like he doesn't need any God. He has nature. He has the power. He, he, he has it all. And Moses tells him that there's a God in the world, that don't rely on nature. Nature isn't anything. So this was the dissonance between Moses and the Pharaoh. This was the inner argument between Moses and the Pharaoh behind the argument of should the Jews be in Egypt or not, was what's the center of your reality? Is the center of your reality nature? Or is the center of your, your reality is, your, is, your, is Hashem? So the river represents the power of nature. The simple reason why his parents put Moses in the, in the basket is because the pharaohs saw through astrology, through his astrologists, that the Jewish redeemer was going to be, going to be um, punished through water. He didn't know that this was a premonition for something that happened much, much later when Moses was going to have the encounter by the waters of Mara, Mara's Mariva, but the Pharaoh thought that, oh, that we'll kill the Jewish boys by the water. That's, what, that, that's a simple meaning of the story. And therefore, Moses' parents put Moses in the water because astrologers would, wouldn't know that by Moses being in the water that the, he was still, still alive. They would think that, oh, he, oh, it happened. The Jewish boy was put in the water. But there's a deeper thing going on. The Pharaoh said that all that life is about is the water. All that life is about is nature. And to counter that, God sent Moses to the world. God sent Moses to the world so we should realize 
that nature is not a thing. Nature is just a tool. That's the idea of Moses being saved by the Nile. You would think that the Nile River represents your power. On the contrary, the Nile River itself will save uh-huh. Moses. There was a Jew, there is a Jew, Langezund, named Nassim Kanelsky. He lives in Kvar Chabad. In 1969, he, um, he was living in Russia, and his uncle, Naftali Hertz, went to visit the Rebbe and asked him for a bracha for him so he and his family should be able to leave Russia and come to the United States. And he went by the Rebbe, and it was, it was uh, right before Yom Kippur, and he had just received a picture of the Kanowski family. He wanted to present this picture to the Rebbe. The Rebbe should give a bracha that this family should leave. He gives the Rebbe the picture. The Rebbe doesn't say anything. Uh-oh, what does that mean? So the Rabbi Kanelsky went to the Ovir. Ovir is the Russian immigration um, office. And even though he got the message from his uncle, grandfather didn't say anything. Grandfather was a code for Rebbe. He couldn't say. He said, show this picture. He had sent a picture. I uh, skipped the part. I'm trying to rush catch, but we finished by 8 o'clock. He sent a picture to his uncle. He said, bring this to, bring this to grandfather and tell me want to leave. He brought it to the Rebbe. They didn't say anything. He went back to Ovir. The lady of Vir takes all of, his, all of his papers, rips them up, says, you'll never leave, you're going to die in Russia. Anyways, and he's very depressed, of course, he doesn't, he doesn't know what's going to happen, he's stuck there. The following year, he decides to try his luck again. And he, this time, he doesn't just come with luck, he decides to come with 5,000 rubles. It's a good idea, right? Here's my papers, oh, here's 5,000 rubles with them. And lo and behold, he's get, he's, she issues the papers to him, and he, he gets out of Russia. He came to New York. And he stayed by his uncle's house, Naftali Hertz. He looks at Naftali Hertz's house and he sees the picture he had sent for the Rebbe is in their house. What happened? He said, interesting thing. I came by the Rebbe this year before Yom Kippur. The Rebbe gave me back that picture. He says, I don't need it anymore. Apparently the Rebbe was davening a whole year for them. And now the Rebbe said, I don't need this picture anymore because the Rebbe had put it in, the, in, fr- in front of him the whole year to pray for them. Anyways, what happened, listen to the punchline I see. punchline is, this family Kanelsky comes into the Rebbe for a private audience after they came to New York. And the Rebbe asked them, so how did you leave Russia? So they told the Rebbe, well, we, we put our papers in, we put a request, and, and we put in 5,000 rubles. So the Rebbe says, so you think that helped? And I'm like, yeah, it helped. Rebbe, and you really think that helped? And some of the Rebbe saying, the smile, you really, it's, nature doesn't do anything. Really, the reason that they left wasn't because of the 5,000 rubles. We could think that, but that's not the truth. The truth is, is that nature is not a, not a thing. And that's what Moses came to bring to the world. That's what the word Moshe means, Moshe, to draw us out of our, our natural reality and to bring us to truth. Imagine somebody knows how to spin a dreidel really well, okay? You can spin a dreidel really well. Does that mean the dreidel is going to land on Gimel every time? Let's you go to college for seven years to learn how to spin a dreidel. You become the best dreidel spinner in North America or in the world. You have no better chance, not even a one iota of a chance that the dreidel is going to land on Gimel. All we do in this world is spin dreidels. We don't have any possible um, uh, additional mazel because we tried harder. I should have read to read the Hayom Yom of Dalid of... Pass Hayom Yom Yasi. Let's tell you that. Let's conclude with that. Dalad of Hayom Yom to the right. Move your hand to the right over there. By the way, tonight's the yard site of the Rambam, and it's a very special day of bracha for the Jewish people. It says that day of the yard site of Tzadik is the Shama has an Aliyah and causes salvation in the world, especially those who study the Rambam. 
And uh, mm-hmm. today's a great day, day to begin studying the Ramah Manu, for those who haven't um, yet started to study the Ramah. So in the Hayom Yom of Dalad of, the Rebbe writes the following words. Dalad of, the Rebbe says, With no matter how no matter how much effort is exerted, no one can earn one cent more than God has ordained that he, this particular person, shall earn. One must do what is necessary, but one must remember that all his work is but an adjunct. The main thing is God's blessing, and that blessing is earned by being observant of God's commandments, davening with a minion, observing the Shabbat beyond the minimum with beauty, meticulous observance of Kashrut, and having your children instructed going to school by sincerely religious teachers. So we, nature doesn't do it. We're, all, we're in God's hands. And that's what this Torah portion teaches us. Beyond the Jewish people leaving Egypt, it was about bringing the Egyptians away from the Nile River, away from worshipping nature and worshipping work, worshipping our efforts in nature to obtain uh, Parnassa, to realize that, that, that the, the true reality is in the reality of Moses. Moses, Masha, he draws us to this reality. And as Raman concludes his magnum opus, the Mishnah Torah, he writes how Mashiach will come, the world become full of knowledge of God, like water covers the ocean bed. The idea of, of water covering the ocean bed is that when you look at the ocean bed, what do you see? You see, you, you, you see the you don't you see just the ocean. What's beneath the ocean? The the water that covers the fish and the mountains and valleys and all the different creatures that are there. So to Mashiach will come, we're going to see the first reality. Our first reality will be God. Now. We look at the cup of tea, we see a cup of tea, and there's a God that created the cup of tea. Sheikh will come, God's reality will be our first reality, it'll be, be our natural reality. And uh, we're here. Now is the last moments of the exile, the first moments of redemption. We gotta just realize all we are is just dreidel spinners. Yaharoni, what are you? What do you do for a living? I'm a, I'm a doctor. No, you're a dreidel spinner. What are you? I'm a lawyer. No, you're, you're a dreidel spinner. We're all just dreidel spinners. We, people think, oh, I, I mean, you're, 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 you're better off because you have this great education. You're better off because of this, better cause. It doesn't mean anything. It's all in the hands of Hashem. We just make vessels for it. And that, that, well, that mindset prepares us for, the, for the, the, when we'll see Mashiach. Mashiach will come. He's not going to ask us if we're doctors, if we're lawyers, if we went to college. He's going to ask us, did you go to Shul with a minion? Did you go keep Shabbos carefully? Keep kosher carefully? And that's the key to the bracha. You might do to all the dreidel spinning in the world. But whether you be successful or not has to do with you can't earn one motet more. The Rebbe says, "Oh, you have to you have to make vessels for God's blessing by keeping God's commandments."